uh, because in chapter 13, there's uh, somewhat of a new situation coming. It'll be John with his disciples in the upper room, and, and we'll come back to that later. Of course, I always have grand plans, and, and so Lord willing, we'll come back uh, to the upper room discourse uh, later on, but, but we're going to finish out uh, this part of John, uh, his earthly ministry, if you will, or I should say his public ministry, if you will, and, and then we'll uh, do something else starting next week. But as, as you're turning there, uh, it's been Palm Sunday. That's where we were last week, not in the calendar time, but in the chapter. You'll notice it was a triumphal entry earlier in chapter 12. And, and uh, as the Pharisees were bemoaning, uh, the whole world's gone after him. Uh, and the, the Greeks were there. There were other people to see Jesus, and, and there was this great crowd bringing Jesus into Jerusalem, the king, you know, Hosanna, uh, praise to God in, in the highest. And, and so he came in uh, to Jerusalem, and, and when he saw the, the Greeks and he told his disciples, now is the time, this is it. The hour has come, and, and Christ knows what's coming. He knows he's going to the cross, but there is this, this immediacy, this urgency. Now is the time. And all of these people are watching Jesus. They've heard about all the things he's done. And so when we get to this passage, it surprises us a little bit, or at least on first reading. We know where this is going. A lot of us have read this before, but still this contrast is somewhat stunning. After all the events of that triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, we come to this, and we'll pick it up. Chapter 12, beginning at verse 37. Though he, and that's Jesus, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
We thank you for your word that you give us and for the truths that you speak to us. And as we look at this passage, we pray that your voice, your Holy Spirit, will increase in our heart, that we may be strengthened in your truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as uh, we come to the end of this public ministry, uh, if you will, of Jesus, and, and he had warned uh, the people around him back in verse 35, if, if you notice there, uh, he had warned them, he said, uh, the, the, the light is among you for a little while, um, walk while you have the light, um, but it's only going to be for a little while, and, and here we are now uh, at the end of the public ministry, and, and as I mentioned, uh, John 13 through 17 is what we call the upper room discourse. It's where Jesus uh, just goes with his disciples and, and he teaches them. And, and then uh, he's arrested after that and, and taken to the cross. Uh, so this is, as John writes his last public, if you will, his public statements until the arrest. And he's been doing a lot of things and... and uh, bringing Lazarus back from the dead and, and all of these things, healing the blind and, and uh, the sick, feeding thousands of people with very little food. And, and despite all of this, despite of everything that happened and what they had seen Jesus do, John writes in, in verse 37, they, they, they didn't believe. Actually, we have a couple of things going on when you look at this passage. Uh, one of the things you have is unbelief. We see that in verse 37. And then in verse 42, we have this fear of confessing what they really do believe. We have some that just don't believe at all. We have some that do believe, but they're not going to confess because of the fear of the Pharisees. And, and so we'll take these two ideas and we'll start with this idea of unbelief. Though they saw all these signs, they still did not believe in him. And then John quotes a couple of passages from Isaiah. Uh, and Isaiah, this first one, Lord, who has believed what he had heard from us, and, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This comes from Isaiah, chapter 53, verse 1, and, and when it talks about the arm of the Lord there in verse 38, uh, that's basically miraculous signs. Lord, you, you've shown us these miraculous signs, and, and there's people who don't believe. And this is exactly what Jesus did, did as well been doing these miraculous things they don't believe uh, they could not believe for again he quotes Isaiah a second time in verse 40 he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts lest they see and turn and, and understand with their heart and, and turn and, and I would heal them now this comes from Isaiah chapter 6 verse 10 and this is somewhat of a, a strange uh, passage from Isaiah uh, if, if you were to just to go back to Isaiah and get some of the context of what's happening as Isaiah writes this, and, and then we can make the parallel uh, to Jesus. Uh, at first glance, uh, speaking of Isaiah, this was a very odd uh, commission that God had given Isaiah. He said, Here, here's what I want you to do, Isaiah. I want you to go out and preach the word so that they can't understand it. Just preach it. They're not going to understand. They're not going to know what you're saying, but just go do it anyhow. It's kind of an odd command that uh, Isaiah had been given to tell people to go and preach 
so that they don't understand. And so that their hearts get hardened and, and uh, the spiritual blindness. And Isaiah went out and he preached as clearly and as simply as he could. In fact, that's one of the uh, one of the things that the criticisms that they come up with against Isaiah in chapter 28. There's basically his critics say Isaiah he, he teaches like he's teaching kindergarten class here. He's so simple, and they actually rejected him because of the simplicity of the message he was trying to tell them. Uh, and uh, J. Alec Mattier, who uh, wrote a, a great, great commentary on Isaiah, uh, he writes that Isaiah is what uh, he calls, and I quote, a preacher's dilemma. And let me quote uh, Mattier about what this preacher's dilemma is. And I quote, if hearers are resistant to the truth, the only recourse is to tell them the truth yet again more clearly than before. But to do this is to expose them to the risk of rejecting the truth yet again, and therefore of increased hardness of heart. That's what Isaiah was doing. God gave him this message, and he would say the message as, as easily and as clearly and simply as he could, and they didn't want to hear it. And so their hearts were hardened. And we see this happening with Jesus as we make the parallel. Jesus has been telling uh, the Pharisees and the religious leaders over and over again who he is. And they don't believe. In fact, they just keep getting harder and harder of heart. And their, their vision never really clears. They just keep getting more blind, even though Jesus has been very clear about what he's doing. Uh, the Puritan Thomas Manton, uh, he points out, uh, and I quote Manton, uh, blindness of mind and hardness of heart, they usually go together. And then he uh, mentions Pharaoh back in the book of Exodus, how Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then it said, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. It, it, it just all went together. Almost as though God was saying, okay, you want to harden your heart? Let's harden your hearts. And and he just kept performing these, these plagues and Harder, Pharaoh's heart continued to get harder. Uh, continuing on with Manton, he writes, God doth not make them that see blind, nor them that are soft hard, but leaveth them to their own prejudice, obstinacy, and unpersuadableness, and when highly provoked, or on that, when highly provoked. In other words, in his very Puritan-like way, what he's saying is, uh, these people were provoked by the word of God. And they were highly provoked because Jesus was very clear and, and saying what uh, he had to say. And they just kept getting harder and harder of hearts, not able to see the truth. Paul has the same experience. And he writes about it in Romans. In Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 18 and and uh, Paul is dealing there with things that we're dealing with in the world today. And, and uh, it, it'd be good if you read all of that. Uh, but I just want to point out some things that Paul points out from Romans chapter 1, uh, beginning at verse 18. And, and we'll notice the theme come out here. Uh, Paul writes this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness 
and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. And then in verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. In verse 24, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. In verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. You can see what Paul is saying there. God gave them up. They wanted to go this direction. God let them go, and they just couldn't even see. And then at the end of uh, chapter 1 of the first book of, uh, of Romans, chapter 1, uh, it talks about how they give their approval. And we'll come back to that idea here in a little, little bit. But they give their, their full approval to that. Now, we are all sinners. And we all have our blind spots. But Christ is saying, walk in the light while you have the light in verse 46. You know, we pray that God... Show us your truth. Don't leave us blind. Left to ourselves, we will blind ourselves. Left to our own hearts, we will become rocks. Lord, show us your truth. And when we look at this, it seems a little harsh. Verse 40, he has blinded their eyes and, and hardened their hearts and and as John uses it here, and, and as Paul has the same idea in Romans chapter 1, it seems somewhat harsh, maybe even manipulative on the part of God. What, God's going to harden their hearts and make them blind? Like they're robots or something? Uh, but D.A. Carson, he points out four things that we need to bear in mind as we look at passages like this and this unbelief. And, and they're all interconnected here. But the first thing D.A. Carson uh, points out is that God's sovereignty in these matters is never pitted against human responsibility. In other words, humans are responsible for our own sin. We are all responsible for the sin we commit. God doesn't tempt us. God's not making us sin we are responsible for the sin we commit. The second thing Carson points out is that God's, and I'm going to read this uh, almost uh, as Carson wrote it, um, and some of the words get a little big, but God's judicial hardening is not presented as the capricious manipulation of an arbitrary potentate, that's a ruler, uh, or, or who is cursing uh, morally neutral or even morally pure beings. In other words, what D.A. Carson is saying there, it's not as though God is finding people who are uh, not really sinners, not really great, just neutral, and making them sin. It's not as though God is finding good people and making them sin. God doesn't do that. Uh, but his, this judicial hardening of heart, if you will, to continue on with Carson, he said, is a, a holy condemnation of a guilty people who are condemned to do and be what they themselves have chosen. 
have chosen this path. Just like Pharaoh. Okay? Go down the path. But your sin is on you. The third thing Carson brings out, and this is where it gets positive then, is God's sovereignty in these matters can be a cause for hope. For if he is not a sovereign in all these areas, then there's a little point in petitioning him for help. But he says, come to me that I may open your eyes. Jesus was saying this, I am the light. I'll show you these things. And God is sovereign. We know we can go to him and he will reveal the truth to us. He will help us see our sin. He will help us walk in our ways. Which leads to the, the fourth thing that Carson mentions here is, is God's sovereign hardening of the people in Isaiah's day, his, his hardening of, of the Pharisees and, and then the people around Jesus, his hardening of people even in today's world um, is, there, there's a purpose behind this. And we can see it all the way going back to Isaiah and his apparent uh, fruitless ministry you know, you think he sent Isaiah out and, and he sent him out to be unsuccessful. Uh, that, that's not it at all. Uh, but it's a stage. It's a stage in God's, uh, if I can use this quote, strange work that brings about ultimate redemption. That's the purpose. Redemption. We saw it in Isaiah. In fact, if you were to turn to Isaiah 28, you'd see the redemption. We see it in Jesus. This leads to redemption. All of these people with the hardened hearts are going to put him on the cross. He's going to die for sins. In Romans chapter 9, Paul comes back to this idea of uh, the redemption of God. All that hardening of heart was so that the word went out to the world and people were redeemed. God has a plan in all of that. And like Isaiah we have this very simple message. This message that we try to get out as clearly as we can, that Christ died for sins. Now Isaiah is looking at it from the other end. He's talking about what God is doing. But we have a simple message, but we just have to know. This message is not going to be seen or heard by all. Now we have hope in the sovereign God. He will bring in his people but we have to just stick with our message, knowing, like Isaiah, it won't always be heard. They won't get the simplicity of it. But we stay with this message clearly, confidently, prayerfully, lovingly, humbly, truthfully, and we do that all as much as we can. But we stick with that message because then we also see what happens on the other side here, starting at verse 42. There were uh, some, even of the authorities, that did believe in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they didn't confess it. They didn't want to be sent out of the synagogue. And verse 43, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Uh, one a commentator was writing, it's hard enough to deny pleasures and riches, but to give up honor, credit, and reputation, they are the hardest points of self-denial 
And that's what these people were faced with. They'd seen what Christ had done. He said, yeah, I, yeah, we, we believe who he is, but their fear of being rejected, basically. <coughs> we'll get thrown out of the synagogue, and this isn't going to look good. Because then my reputation is ruined. Now, one thing about uh, that is um, appealing about the glory that comes from man, as it mentions in verse 43, one of the things that's very appealing about that is it's immediate. I can go out and I can say, I can find anybody I want and say something to them where they will call me a good guy. I'll say what they want, and I could get an immediate approval from almost anybody I wanted to, if I wanted to. The only problem with that is immediate, but it's also very temporary. The glory that comes from God is eternal. We see that in verse 50, eternal life. But we have to wait on that sometimes. But it's very appealing to get that immediate glory from man and in the human mind the immediate is often more appealing than the eternal as backwards as that bit that is when you think it through the immediate oftentimes can win out over the eternal and Jesus cried out and he said whoever believes in me believes not in me but him who sent me in verse 44 because you see, this, this fear of rejection that they have is greater than their faith in God. Even though Jesus had said back in chapter 6, verse 37, he said, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I will accept you and never cast you out. And yet their fear of rejection from man, this fear of getting thrown out of the synagogue is more important to them than uh, approval of God, the glory that comes from God. And we notice that, uh, as I mentioned in, in Romans chapter 1, at the end, where Paul said they gave their full approval, approving and, and glorifying in, in the world, and the world would give their approval right back to these people. And that's, that's what they're faced with. I can get immediate exception right here. Immediate approval right here. And that seems more attractive than the eternal glory that comes from God. But you see, this faith in Jesus, as he says, is not, is, is not faith in, in merely a human being. Uh, not merely a prophet. A prophet even greater than Isaiah. But this faith in Jesus is faith in God himself, the word incarnate, the unique uh, son, the, the God-man, the father and son so closely identified, the triune God, if you put in the Holy Spirit and, and you believe in Jesus, you believe in the one who sent me, Jesus says. He said, I didn't come to judge, but to save the world. To save the world. And when we consider him as, as this uh, judge, a severe judge who comes, uh, that can be troubling. But 
Jesus was very clear, but I came to save in verse 47. And when we consider him as a savior, well, that's much more comfortable. Much more comfortable to be saved by the word rather than judged by the word. But he said, the word is there. And it's one way or the other. And I'm not going to have to judge you because the word will do the judging. You've heard it. There's the message. There it is. It's clear. It's simple. And you can't always follow it. And Jesus acknowledges that. You can't always follow it. But he died for our sins. He died for salvation. And then he said, uh, he closes out, he said, I've not spoken this on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has uh, sent me to say this, and, and what I say, I, I say as the Father has told me. And as Jesus is speaking these words to his listeners, and kind of this as John has it, kind of his last public statement before the arrest, these words would have been uh, very uh, threatening uh, to the to the people around him, for the unbelievers. Because the threat here is judgment. Because his words are the Father's words. They don't believe in Jesus. The only other option is the judgment. And Jesus lived in perfect obedience to the Father. He died in that same perfect obedience. Died for our sins. This word that was made flesh going all the way back to the prologue of John in, in John chapter 114 is also uh, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. That's also from John chapter 1. It's what John the Baptist said in chapter 1 verse 29. And so as we look at this passage, we see this charge, really, Jesus gives to these people. Believe who I am. The message is simple. Believe. And proclaim this message. Confess this message. Don't worry about the, the glory that comes from man. It's more important that there, we have the glory that comes from God. So don't have the fear of man. And have ask God to open our eyes to see the truth that he gives us. It's a clear message and a simple message. Sometimes we wonder, why can't people get this? But Jesus gives us the answer. It's because that's the road they've chosen. May we always be people of prayer who ask God to open our eyes that we may stay on his path. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your clear message. We thank you for opening eyes and softening hearts that we may see who you are and that we may believe, that we may confess your name, that we may have hope in the sovereign God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your truth that it gets poured out to us and help us to Stay faithful to your truth. To never seek the glory of man over the glory of God. But that you will keep us thinking rightly about your word and about our salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.